Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to talk about what happens when great artists make terrible songs. Even the greats do sometimes. We're also going to talk about new music from Wilco. But first... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like a window pane, can my cold heart change? And that was a little bit of If Ever I Was a Child from Wilco. Wilco just released two new songs. I'm here to talk about them with John Dolan, Record Reviews Editor. Hey, John. Hey, Nathan. Um, so this one's beautiful. This is like the prettiest, like most straightforward Wilco song I've heard in a while. It is. Um, it's a, you know, like you just heard a pretty kind of folk pop song, you know, the kind of very stately but sweet and um, detailed playing that's not showy. It's, they're really in kind of a nice... You know, just mellow, confident, kind of Wilco-y mood that they've been in, in, you know, recently. It's not, it's kind of a no big whoop kind of thing for them. The new record is called Wilco Schmilco, which kind of puts a real <laughs> fine point on this. Um, you, I mean, yeah. you, you see these bands, like, who are at the stage in Wilco's career where they're kind of, like, flailing against this Adrian or their age where it's just like, how do we get attention? Like, I, I, you know, you see that in bands like, you know, maybe U2 or p- bands that try to, you know, have their Beyonce moment every time they come out. Wilco does not have that problem. Well, they've they, never tried to be too big. Right. You know, they've always kept it at a very safe and kind of familiar level. I mean, and they have kind of, you know, they went through their struggles and tensions going back to the controversy surrounding um, Yankee Foxtrot Hotel, sort of band problems they had and some of Jeff Tweedy's personal problems. But the last, say, even now we're getting into like the last almost decade has been from really since Sky Blue Sky, I think, which was ni- 2007, has been just, you know, them making good, listenable you know, or sometimes, or sometimes great. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's yeah. not like they don't care. I mean, I think the title's a joke, but it's like they're they're very happy to just play to their fans. Who That's right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, look that, like them. Yeah, no, it's totally true. <laughs> look like <laughs> us. Let's be honest. Look like us. Let's not try to you know. Dad let's rockers, not dodge this. Dad rock fans, yeah, come on, right? we're sitting here. Um, uh, you know, like the last one was called Star Wars. I mean, that just seems to sort of say, like, look, it's these are it's a universal happiness. Um, and uh, and uh, this they released these two songs on the anniversary of that of that record um, coming out, the one year anniversary. The one one of the songs is called Locator. Which- sort of noisy, but also uh, you know familiar and enjoyable kind of Wilco tune in this, in this, like you say this, if ever I was a child. It's funny, it's a classic kind of, the lyrics do kind of hint at, hint darker moods or sort of ambivalence in, in the Jeff Tweedy style, but he makes it L- seem like a pretty... Sh- yeah, sorry to cut you off, like yeah. Locator for sure, like has that Wilco mix of like, like beautiful playing and hooks that go into a darker place and then come back. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like their last, I think that what made Star Wars kind of interesting is that they've always done different things. They've been a rootsy band. They've been a noisy band. They've been a singer songwritery band. They've been a band that kind of recalls classic rock AM, you know, kind of radio. And they kind of were doing all those things sometimes in the same song. This 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 seems a little more separate. You know, you have one song, which is the pretty folk tune, one song, which is kind of the 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 noisy, more dissonant song. And it'll be interesting to see if this record kind of, how they approach 
there are different sounds on this record. Each time it's a sort of a new, a new attitude within uh, a, a kind of familiar scope. Uh, you've also been listening to um, a couple songs from uh, a younger band you like, uh, The Paranoid Style. Yeah, not that much younger. I guess like pushing about 40, but it's a, it's a, it's a, I think a married couple. They live in D.C. The singer is named Elizabeth Nelson. The guitar player is Timothy Bracey. And the way I would sort of, I guess not market isn't the right word, but the way I would describe them is they are probably the rock criticiest band in the history. I mean, to give you an example, like they're named after a book, which is they're named after the Paranoid Style in, in, in American Politics by Richard Hofstetter, which is kind of a classic of, actually a timely classic. It describes kind of right-wing paranoia in American history. Wow. Um, now more than ever. Now more than ever. Style. you got to go get it. Um, it's uh, on Amazon for a penny. Um, and then, um, and then, and then <laughs> they're, they're on the cover of this record, she's the, 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 she's sitting on a railroad track reading a novel by Raymond Chandler. She, she's oh, reading wow. The Long Goodbye. Yeah. So they're rock critics. Um, they, they, they have been rock critics. They've written about uh, Yola Tango and other, thing, other bands like that. But what makes this record Record great is I mean, just such a comfortable place talking about right. this. Band I know it's right like now. you know, yeah. I, I don't mean to like scare everybody away, but they actually rock, which is helpful. And she's actually, she's yeah. terrific. Her yeah, voice is terrific. Great she's singer, really real funny. Debbie Harry kind yeah. of conversational phrasing. Totally. Yeah. Um, they you know often sound like yeah the attractions or Blondie or maybe the new pornographers and um, the songs rock. They're fun and 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 kind of rollicking and uh, and and the lyrics are funny. Which um, of the two? What are the a couple songs that you've been digging? This one song, the thrill is back, is 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 a real is is really catchy um i think she's there's one of the lines is something like if there's one thing i can't stand it's a good sense of humor it's all these kind of like cutting relationship or kind of cutting uh, uh sort of jokes not jokey but funny lyrics um dry real dry um and um uh more of a relationship song than a bb king reference yeah, but totally. maybe a light <laughs> the yeah. thrill is back with an exclamation point the exclamation right. point i think is deeply ironic um <laughs> But uh, there's there, the whole record is is kind of full of all these hooks that keep coming out, um, and and her uh, dry wit it makes it a really fun listen all the way through. All right, and their new album is called Rolling Disclosure, and it's out now on all the major services. It is John Dolan. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my ding-a-ling-a-ling, oh, my ding-a-ling. And that was Chuck Berry's My Ding-a-ling, uh, his 1972 hit, which is going to kick off a segment I'm excited about, about terrible songs by great artists. I'm going to start with a disclaimer. The way that you get on this list is because you are a great artist. We're going to trash a lot of songs here, uh, but these, all of these artists are, are people who are near and dear to our heart. The definitive list is on rollingstone.com right now. Uh, it was edited by Chris Weingarten, who's here. Hello. What's up, Chris? And I also have Andy Green. 
Hi. Hey. Today we're going to talk about our personal picks for the most terrible songs by our, our most beloved artists. And we're also going to talk about some of the, the picks that might have made it on the list or people were talking about when we put this list together. Let's start with this Chuck Berry song, which, which was, after all, his biggest hit ever, My ding a It was a true number one hit for a guy that basically invented rock and roll. It took almost 20 years. It was his first number one hit and his last. And for a guy that wrote Johnny Be Good and all these masterpieces, it's sort of this weird irony that it, it's the a only cruel, hit was this. You can say cruel irony. Yeah, it's yeah. an extremely cruel irony, but he was thrilled, and he deserved a hit. You know, he had been struggling for so many years playing all these shows. It was one of the most unexpected, like, bizarre comebacks in rock history. You know, there's, there's something to be said about a good novelty song. Even a, a great artist can write, a, you know, Yellow Submarine was a novelty song in, in its own way. Like, there's no fronting on, on the, the Dr. Demento canon, as it were, when our, our Hall of Famers stumble into it right. with yeah, yeah, My Ding-A-Ling. You're, you're, yeah, you, you disagree. You didn't think My Ding-A-Ling belonged on the list. You know, Chris, you're... I, I didn't. I, I would call myself somewhat of a fan of My Ding-A-Ling. <laughs> and uh, we've tolerated enough lighthearted and and vulgar fare from other beloved characters in the history of the genre. And, you know, the original lyrics to Tutti Frutti were naughty and had a bit of a a grin to it in a similar way, you know, and, and you know what? And if ACDC did my dingling, they would be like, they'd be playing it on the Super Bowl. I could see right. it as an ACDC song. I, I ACDC mean, I, or Two Well, yeah, I, I think the issue isn't like, I, I think usually just like most double entendres in rock and roll are delivered with a little more elan than yeah. Chuck Berry <laughs> delivered my dingling. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a little bit more yeah. of a wink, a little, it's a little, it's you know. It's like a single entendre almost. It's just <laughs> barely even, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen him in concert a whole lot, and there's always a moment when this song starts, and I'm just like, oh, he always God. plays it. He always plays it, and I'm yeah, I'm so deflated because I'm dying to hear something else, to hear like, anything else, basically. But the crowd goes nuts, and and he feels really the they energy. go nuts for my <laughs> I didn't mean the just, stupid just, pun. So just an eruption, yeah, an of eruption of applause, an eruption of applause, not yeah. anything else. Anyway, okay. you were saying Andy. They go crazy. They are euphoric about the song, and Chuck's and Chuck on stage is always so happy to see the applause. He really cherishes the song. Is for him, it was validation in a weird way because he wasn't a guy that had a real big career. He was only famous for a few years. He gets tossed in prison. By the time that he gets out, he's he's washed up. He's he's passe. So for him, it was like. A wonderful thing. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to try to avoid saying the title. Yeah. Again, okay. I'm yeah. Just, That's for the best. <laughs> anyway. No, move I, I'm immature enough that I no, can, no, I can you, say I'm it a couple more that times, you. you know? Let's move on. From, you, <laughs> let's move on from my dingling. Rolling Stone is now hiring second graders <laughs> to produce their editorial. Um, yeah. Andy, let's get into some of your, your personal picks okay. uh, for, for terrible songs by great artists. All right. My first one is by The Who, who are my favorite band of all time. But 1981, they did a song called Did You Steal My Money? Did you steal my money? Did you steal my money? It was off of Face Dances, which is an album that I actually enjoy. But you can, like, smell the cocaine when you hear this song. It's, <laughs> you, can, you can see Pete Townsend all jittery and paranoid after a really epic night of doing blow. 
and he thinks he's been robbed. And the whole song is just this spastic repetition of, did you steal my money? And it's the most coked out thing I've heard in my entire life. And they recorded it. And it's sort of fun in a weird way, but it's is sort of early 80s, dark, like, cokey. I think that scene in, like, Boogie Nights when <laughs> the robbery at the house, it, it was that same time period. Just, like, dark and paranoid to almost violent Ooh. extremes. Well, it starts with, like, Pete repeating yeah. that refrain kind of yeah. in the background. And then, yeah, yeah you're, some of the lyrics had this, like, kind of crazy, almost, like, Neil Young level of simplicity, but kind of crazy. Like, yeah. uh, did you screw me? Did you do me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> did you use me? Why'd I trust you? Why'd you abuse me? I won't bust you. Yes, right. and Daltrey does his best with it, but he's singing in sort of this weird tough guy voice, and it just really falls apart. And about a year later, they ended the band, which is for the best. Yeah, at that point, probably, they were kind of used up. They did a few more great songs. They still managed to make Eminence Front, which I love, but this was sort of the end of that period of the group. The drugs had consumed everything. Pete's brain was starting to rot. This is like a topic for a lot of bands. Like yeah. they're feeling like, like they've been ripped off or they're hating their label or their manager. But usually yeah. it's, it's delivered with like maybe a little slight, something a little <laughs> yeah. bit veiled, a little they bit, don't you know. outright say, did you steal my money? <laughs> right. Like, I know, John over Fogarty, Zance can't dance. Right. Little, which is not one of his greatest, but he tried no. a little harder. A yeah. little. He was still sued over it. But right. Yeah. By right. Zance himself. But all yes. right. Well, all right. Well, Andy, what, what's the next on your list? Let's do Paul Simon's Cars Are Cars. And wow. There's not yeah. a lot of horrible Paul Simon songs because he's crazily talented. Which but. is maybe why this one sticks out so much. Cars are cars all over the world. Cars are cars all over the world Similarly made, similarly sold In a motorcade, abandoned when they're old In 1983, I think he was engaging in some of the same behaviors as Pete Townsend by this point. He made Hearts and Bones, which was supposed to be his big reunion album that was with Garfunkel. And they even recorded a few songs together, but Paul felt it was too personal of an album, so he went back and he erased Art's parts, which Art is still pissed about to this day. But I can't imagine why Cars Are Cars was too personal to sing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like a children's song. He keeps saying Cars Are Cars all over the world. He's saying that no matter where you go, the cars are the same. And then later we learn, but people are very different all over the world. Hmm. They, they aren't like cars. But the, the delivery of it. <laughs> and cars literally aren't the same. All I don't think right they are. are. Like, have you ever been yeah, to Berlin? Yeah, yeah. 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 have you that. been to Havana? Yeah. The car, they have the awesome 50s different. cars. Yeah. yeah, he says, an engine in the front, jack in the back, wheels take the brunt, pinion and a rack. Cars are cars all over the world. Oh, the VW Bug. Now you have hybrid cars. Well, man. Yeah, so Paul was wrong on the basic premise of his song. <laughs> this really is, I mean, this, it, this really, it does sound like kind of like a parody of a yeah, Paul Simon song. It's shockingly yeah. bad. Yeah. I think his quality control at this point was very briefly off. It was during his weird marriage to Carrie Fisher. This is the same year that she made Return of the Jedi. Right mm. then they got the voice. It's a whole mess. It's he's, almost it's it's uncanny because he's you know delivering the songs and that right. voice and it yeah. sounds like they should be yeah. you know. But he's singing nonsense. Right. That's even like, right. even like correct nonsense, which is why Graceland was so shocking three years later because no one thought that 
the cars are. Cars guy would be able to pull out a Graceland. We could maybe we could <laughs> yeah. do a list about uh, comebacks from terrible songs. Yeah, the greatest yeah, comebacks. Number one. Why so, out here making yeah. work for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, your next choice, Andy, is kind of controversial. It's, it's oh, from yeah. one of Neil Young's, you know, yeah. biggest selling albums. Yeah. There's a lot of bad Neil Young songs, but I decided I should grade on a curve somewhat, and I'm going to Harvest, which is his most beloved album. It's his best selling album. But he got the London Symphony Orchestra to play on a few songs. And it wasn't the best thing for him or the songs. The song, There's a World, it's so overblown. It's so overdramatic. It's just awful. They took a small sketch of a song that's barely even like a good song to begin with and just layer in a billion horns and everything and strings and it's just like what the hell is this I think it absolutely <laughs> if you're grading on a curve in terms yeah. of like you know this is such a great album you know, with songs like you know Old Man and, and you know uh, and like Out on the Weekend Out on Harvest, the Weekend the Gold kind of like terrible troughs on great albums. Yeah, uh, and, and then there's just, there's a world, bomb, bomb, right. bomb, <laughs> bomb. It's right. just, what the hell? All right, next one, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> well, this is off of Human Touch, which is his worst album. I think what happened, it was- Real 19- Man. Yeah, song, excuse right? me. Yeah, it's called Real Man off Human Touch. <laughs> happened was it was the 90s but not everybody got that memo so it was still <laughs> thought of as like the 80s by some of his old timers even though this was post nevermind and if you listen to this thing the production screams 80s it's so day the drums and the synths just just bury everything and he was almost like too happy in his life and his time to write great songs he was just married he had kids and just real man is it's like a parody of a Bruce song. There's not yeah, much Yeah, this there. is another one that did kind of sound like a parody of, of, of a song. Yeah, yeah, he really just sort of lost his way for a few years, and this is sort of the peak of it. He just talks about taking a girl out to the movies, and they see a real man on the screen, but he's the real, real man, and it just doesn't even kind of work. Production-wise, it kind of has some of the worst elements, I think, of Born in the USA. I mean, it's kind of yeah. slightly overblown or, you know. Yeah, he never had a great producer for some of his times, and they just he, he didn't realize that records shouldn't sound like, like this. You can get away with it in, like, 84, but by 92... Right. It just was not going to fly. I'm not usually the one to pick up the indefensive Bruce Springsteen <laughs> yeah, torch him. here. Yeah. But I will say, yeah. I do think maybe Bruce did get the memo yeah. because 57 Channels yeah, that's an was, was basically an Octung baby. Yeah, that's, but it's such an extreme outlier on the album that it's just like fell out of the sky or something. And most <laughs> of the rest of it's so different. You're right. That has no guitar on it. It's just bass. Yeah, it's dope. You <laughs> switched. Round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 
if he did a whole record of just 57 <laughs> channels, we would probably be talking about Human Touch the same yeah. way we talk about Octung Baby or Kiko and the Lavender Moon. Like those, like, those kind of merch artists go alterna early and 90s. He was so bold with it. He put it out as a single. He made a video and he's basically rapping on it. Yeah, no, it might it might be my favorite Bruce Springsteen yeah, song. I got it's like way up. I like between it. Bruce Springsteen's 57 channels and U2's Numb. Yeah. Like that was a really cool period yeah. for uh <laughs> And it lasted like seven months. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> But which actually, I can I can use that to trans yeah. transition into the yes. things I'm going to talk about. Uh-huh. Well, but before we I, we're going to get to that. Before we do that, Andy has one more song, which what? is a, a, another artist who fell victim uh-huh. to quite a bit of '80s production. <laughs> I, I, we think we've all heard of him, Bob Dylan. Yes, it was hard to pick a worse Dylan song from the '80s because there's so <laughs> many of them. This is from Knocked Out Loaded, which is his worst album. Which many which people agree. Even the title implies <laughs> these are songs he knocked out while, while drunk. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 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 mostly covers, and this appears to be a cover because it's the same title as a 1920s like gospel song, essentially that was covered by Hank Williams. But he took that title and he made a whole crap new song out of the song, and it's the worst 80s production I've ever heard on a single veteran artist of anybody. It's called Drifting Too Far From The Shore. I tried to eat too, honey, but you're drifting too far from the shore. Drifting too far from the shore. It's kind of got every Dylan 80s cliche in one song. Like the terrible, the shouty vocals, you know, the awful synths. And the drum with this echo effect on it, it's just each drum beat is just like a (laughs) dagger to your spleen or something. (laughs) It's like, what the hell? The guy that 20 years previously was making Blonde on Blonde was just, it's almost unimaginable he can make a song this terrible, an album this bad. Well, speaking of beats, maybe this is yeah. a good transition to a couple of Chris's personal picks, which which both involve uh, some, both involve uh, <laughs> musicians' <beats>. reactions to <laughs> rap music at the time. Um, you know, which reminded me a lot of the '90s, how people were reacting to Nirvana and U2 and these the new alternative nation of James Addiction and the Pixies and Faith No More and stuff. And and it was sort of like that in the 80s with rap music, um, although definitely a little bit of growing pains in there. And certain artists uh, were really, really smart about it. Yes was a great example of... <laughs> <laughs> I've never... Uh, yeah. real, uh, I mean, uh, of Owner of a Lonely Heart, the yeah. way it uses a sampler yeah. is... Right. Brilliant. Okay, I thought I, I was trying yeah. to racking my brain for a yes hip hop no, song. Yeah, no, yeah. No, I mean, but like Owner of a Lonely Heart right. was yeah. was such a, an embrace of the technology right. that hip hop in turn embraced it back. Right. It was that it was that smart and dead on. Herbie Hancock's Rocket, you know, again, a total game changer. Right. Lou Reed's original rapper, 
Not, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. Um, but I do think maybe a little unfairly maligned. Yeah, and, and it's not not you know yeah. it's got that kind of art of noise well, vibe to it, and it had a definite wink in it, and, yeah. and he was making fun of himself as someone who always had these spoken song lyric, you know, Correct. lyrics, and it, so it made some sense as a novelty song sure. sort of. Yeah. Check what's in the batter, make sure the cane is in the original rapper. Which brings us to Dee Dee Ramone, <laughs> aka Dee King. Okay, well, there was a little. I know, I know there was a little bit of argument about whether Dee Dee belongs on this list, just because you know, as a solo artist, he didn't make great albums, but of course, right. he did but write. As, as he a, did write some of the greatest and songs ever. Some of the greatest ever punk rock songs for, for the Ramones. He was the yeah. best writer, probably. Absolutely. So okay. So he, with that, with that in he, mind, he belongs. Yeah. Yes. So his rap album is a little notorious, uh, especially since the Funky Man video started uh, making the YouTube rounds. I was kind of surprised by your pick here because I would have picked Funky Man. But right. go, go ahead. Well, <laughs> I not only own the album on cassette, but I've, I, <laughs> I've heard the entire thing. And there's definitely worse songs on there. The worst of all being German Kid. Guy with the rhyme about the pyramid. Bet you didn't know I was a German kid. Und ich finde es gut, wenn Leute lachen. Ich hab der Energie, ich hab der Kraft. Ein hübsches Mädchen gibt The German language <laughs> is... One of the least funky languages <laughs> in all of uh, the world's tongues. And he uses it to such a degree. Uh, he, he, he raps in English and he raps in German. And he keeps pushing the fact that he's half German as like this amazing piece of trivia. <laughs> like he literally says it, I bet you didn't know I was half German. Like, Anyone right. cares. Like right. it's like that is right. not remotely interesting, especially since you came from a band that had a weird Nazi fixation <laughs> throughout <laughs> their entire career. Um, well, well, he you know he was keeping yeah he was keeping that Ramon sim- simplicity. I mean, interestingly, I mean, Didi he he was very serious about hip hop, right? I mean, he really genuinely he believed he quit the Ramones like, to do he, it. <laughs> he, he needed to be. He was very serious about this hip hop album. And about a major being, label put this out. A like, major label put like, it out. He, I didn't realize he was actually German. I know he spent some of his childhood Half in German. Right. Yeah. Okay. He he spent some of his childhood. Did, did you in not Germany. even listen to the song? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was half German. I, I I need to get the cassette. <laughs> obviously, but I mean, he spent some of his childhood in, in Germany because yeah, he was yes. an army brat, yes. right? Uh, so um, yeah, obviously had a connection. This yes. is part of yeah. And 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 he was just he was empowered by Schooly D. Uh, much like the Beastie Boys were, actually. They they really loved Schooly. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the song Gucci Time meant a lot to Dee Dee because the idea of, you know, I, I had nothing and now I have a Gucci watch. He felt that was very, very uh, empowering. Uh, but... Unfortunately, Schooly D is not here to defend himself yeah. from this association, <laughs> but but granted, Schooly yeah. D is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schooly D is incredible. Uh, D.D. King, the rapper, not so much. It, what needs to be said is he left the best punk group of all time to put out the worst rap album of all time. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really, there really is a case, and it might be the worst rap record of 1989. Like, there really is not... And, and there are a lot of terrible rap records from that era, oh, for yes. sure. A and lot yes. of people. This, which actually, okay, well, let's let's back up. This does lead us to maybe the big kahuna yeah. of yeah, terrible so rap speak, records. Yeah, so to speak. The big Kokomo here are... <laughs> 
<laughs> our friend yeah. Brian Wilson. Well, Brian Wilson, to his credit, never technically released Smart Girls. It was on the album Sweet Insanity, which was supposed to be released in 1991, the very, very end of his tenure with his completely scrupulous and helpful friend, <laughs> Eugene Landy. <laughs> uh, it was the very, very last song on a record that was never released. So to Brian's credit, it never technically saw the light of day. But right. thank you, the internet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does exist. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys did a rap song called Smart Girls. My name is Brian and I'm the man. I write hit songs with the wave of my hand. Songs to surf and sun and sand. I make great music with my band. Was it a response to Run DMC's Dumb Girl? You don't know. And I don't know. It would have been a really late response. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been which a remarkably a pro- uh, late well, response. Which is, which is appropriate for but, that time of his life. Yeah, yeah. He's yes, slowly. it's true. But, you know, it's like, you know, Run DMC was not a fan of Dumb Girls, and Brian Wilson is not a fan of Dumb Girls. So, you know, they, they had some affinity there. The original, I think the original Wipeout rap cover was supposed to be with Run DMC, who smartly right. declined. But the right. fat boys happily took it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fat boys, fat boys didn't turn down a fucking thing in the late 80s. Like, those, those dudes would do anything, for, for better and worse, to be fair. But Brian, I think, does sing on the, the fat boys wipeout, and I have no idea if there's any connection between that and this song that came four years later. Maybe we should just My name I mean- is Brian, and I'm the man. <laughs> I write hit songs with the wave of my hand. He Smart girls, I love the smart girls. You brainy babes with your attitudes. Big brains are awesome, dude. Smart, 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 smart girls. And he name checks like 10 different Beach Boys songs here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean well, that... and they and they're they're sampled throughout. And the beat <laughs> the beat itself is kind of cool. It's kind of that it's, post uh Tall, cool one, Robert Plant, where it's like right. you're injecting the old yeah. hits in there. Yeah. It kind of sounds like, not to age myself too much, but it kind of sounds like the Double D and Steinsky mashup stuff that was going around a little bit earlier. But I would agree that the, the Beach Boys samples are kind of what really pushes this up to the <laughs> fine, over, totally over the top. It's just kind of yeah. crazy because they're just totally dropped in. I mean, yeah. just like kind of in an insane way, yeah. like oh, dis- yeah. dissonant way. Really, like, yeah. really disgustingly thrown in there, which I would actually kind of be into if, you know, from that, like, Asphodel Records, Invisible Scratch Pickle nuttiness of Christian Marclay pastiche art, I would be a a total defender of of this Beach Boys B-Boy revision (laughs) had he not had lines like this. I'm no different from the rest. I love hips and legs and breasts. But strictly on a higher plane, what really turns me on is her brain. Yeah. Uh, well, and what must be said was he was under complete control <laughs> of a psychotic therapist that named this album Sweet Insanity against Brian's wishes because that, like, that offended him. 
and probably forced him to record this against right. his will. I mean, so, he was okay. so, really not so, in control of himself. So, so Brian, he, he does win the ultimate prize for, from possibly one of the worst songs by a great artist, but with a couple asterisks that he yeah. was under the control of a guru-like uh, person. And this was never released. So, and it was okay, never technically right, released. Okay. But we're still going to give it, it to happens, him. It right? happens. It happens. You well, know, and let me, let me also say this, this entire list is a little difficult for me because I'm actually always a big fan of the songs people skip. I love Revolution Number no. 9. I love the Pearl Jam Bug song on Vitalogy. Great, I yeah. think that's... Boris the Spider. You're yeah. You're a fan like, of that. Uh, yeah. Like the, the Kurt Cobain Beans song that sounds like Young Marble mm. Giants on Helium or whatever. Like, I, I love all those songs. And I think that those are the type of songs that open people's minds to other sounds and, and the avant-garde and things they would have not have been introduced to on an album otherwise. I think those things are great, but those things are fewer and far between than the colossal flops that we are talking about <laughs> today. And just broadly speaking, a great deal of these songs were brought to you by cocaine. I mean, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point, too. I mean, like, you know, in terms of bad influences, I think cocaine is probably the worst mm. influence of all the drugs, yeah. perhaps, no, on, on music. There's more bad no, cocaine wow, albums no, made strangely, than any other drug. Bowie thrived on it. The more coke he did, the better he got. Mm. It right. was really bizarre. Well, he but, forgot, like, whole years of the 70s, but he, yeah. yeah. but he made great music, well, under right. a, a state of cocaine right. psychosis. But well, he's the exception. Well, that, that we, don't, could, we, that, don't have the, we don't have the results of, of the Jenkum era's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> musical musical output so let's, let's hold that we might have to save this for another episode Chris Weingarten Andy Green thank you for coming on of course and the full list the definitive list of terrible songs by great <laughs> artists uh, is on rollingstone.com thanks guys dot com <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now if you like what you heard please leave us a review on iTunes thanks Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.